Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Ed. How are you? I am good because uh, we are recording two days after um, GeoMob Barcelona, which went really well, actually. It was the best one we've had since COVID. Um, that's great. So, yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We need to recap uh, GeoMob Barcelona, GeoMob London, which was last week, where we, which we both attended. And uh, prior to that, you were also at um, Phosphor-G UK. Yep, it's been a Maptember. Right, <laughs> exactly, the Maptember. I forgot about that. Um, well, let's dive in. Should we take them in chronological order? You want to start with Phosphor-G UK? Okay, yeah, fine. Um, so Phosphor UK Local is an interesting hybrid event. And I think um, this could be a model that other people should be looking at how they might adapt it to their conferences. Uh, we had eight locations spread around England, Scotland, Wales and the Republic of Ireland. Um, in each location, there were somewhere in the region of 30 to 40 people, a couple were a little smaller. There were talks in each location. So in total, there were about 50 talks, some lightning talks, some unconference sessions, and some streamed keynotes, which came, uh, one of them was somebody uh, in London, and one of them was Yujaval from somewhere in India. So it was... Um, we all came together for some bits, for the stream bits. There was also a panel, which we came together for. And then there were local talks. Um, big plus of that is that people don't have to travel very far. You're using smaller venues. So often you get most of those venues were donated to us by people, you know, British Geographic Survey. Geovation, which we used for Geomob, was donated um, Lots of the venues were free. Um, so it was a great event. Um, I have to say the tech let us down, if I'm going to be honest. Uh, the, um, the streaming and the coordination across eight different venues are what... The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could yeah. see how that's challenging. I mean, trying to do that in real time. And um, the conclusion that we came up with was that um, doing live streaming really is... Um, not easy and doing it using free open source technology is even less easy <laughs> to be honest and I, that's not a criticism of the the streaming technology it's just that it all got a bit complicated and some people weren't it wasn't working very well um, so I think if we did it again or when we do it again because we will do it again um We'll pre-record the keynotes, maybe have the keynote speakers online for the questions, but at least have the keynotes pre-recorded so that each local venue has a copy and plays it locally rather than trying to stream it in. That makes sense. That makes sense. There's no reason that needs to be done live, you know. Um, but um, we tried to do a panel, and the panel wasn't 
a great success, in my opinion. And I was one of the panel speakers because um, the comms to try and have four or five people um, in different venues holding a conversation with Denise facilitating it just didn't really stand up. Um, and it ended up a big chunk of it was just Denise and me, which was fine for us because we were in the same venue, but um, I'm not sure it went well with the for the rest of the people listening to it being streamed. So so that was Phosphor G UK. Any um, particularly interesting talks that stood out for you or themes? Well, I was in London, obviously. So, you know, I heard some great talks. Um, I'm just looking and thinking um, there was a really deep tech talk by Mike Nibelli from Groundshore about PySpark and Apache Sedona for big data processing in the cloud. I mean, it was really geeky stuff, but he spoke really well. It was interesting. Um, there was another great talk from Yogesh Girikumar, who works for Humanitarian OpenStreetMap, and he was talking about um, modernizing the infrastructure for the tasking manager for Humanitarian OpenStreetMap. And that was fascinating because um, one of their challenges is trying not to be wholly dependent on one cloud infrastructure provider and how you can build an infrastructure that enables you to be independent of a single cloud provider. Um, it was good, interesting stuff. So that was the interesting stuff. Um, and what I really enjoyed was the unconference session. Um, it was fantastic. You know, we ended up, we had a 30-minute slot and we had about 10 or 12 people or 10 people had stuck things up on the board. So we had to have a vote to choose which ones we were going to have speaking. And we ended up managing to get six five-minute slots in. So it was it was cool. It was really cool. And it reminded me how much fun those unplanned, unconference type things where people stand up, no slides or anything. It was great. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah. I, I, this is an interesting model, this, uh, you know, local, simultaneous local meetups. What we'll uh, I, I would like to attend an event like that. So I think, you know, I mean, theoretically, you could have had eight local days run independently. But the whole thing gets momentum. You know, you can, you know, a keynote speaker will take the time to deliver a keynote to 250 people. Um, you might struggle to get those people to go to eight different venues and deliver in person. Well, it also has momentum online because you see everyone kind of, you know, yeah. posting about it and, and sharing pictures and things like that. It does, you know, even the, you have all the benefits of it being a small, intimate event, but also the kind of the, the digital, the online momentum of it being a big event. So, um, cool stuff. Congrats to everyone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So then we go on to Fos For GeoMob uh, Geo London. GeoMob. The, 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 Geo the next week we were in London. So, um, yeah. yeah, we were back at UCL. And thanks to Mookie, who, who once again got us um, a, a, a room at UCL. 
we had four speakers. Um, very good turnout. I, I mean, probably one of our biggest turnouts ever. Every single seat was taken in the in the room. Um, and it would, I like it when we're at UCL because we get the students. But you know, you know what's interesting is we seem to have started attracting another demographic. A lot of people who work for councils and things like that. Um, you know, doing various, various GIS functions for the local boroughs in London or whatever. Of course, lots of the regulars there as well. Um, let me briefly, shall I run through the talks and then we can kind Go of reflect ahead. on them. So um, first up, we had uh, Alex from a company called Resustain, which uh, is working on, you know, kind of quantifying, thinking about ways to quantify the carbon footprint of, of buildings and structures and things like that. And then uh, I guess kind of on the principle of you can't, we can't improve things until we measure them. Uh, and so then kind of creating the baseline of like how bad is a, is a building or a facility, you know, in terms of carbon production and then and then hopefully in a sort of semi-automated way coming, coming with ideas for how we can improve that. Um, next, we had Adita who um, she gave a talk. This was kind of a, a, an interesting talk in that it, it was fascinating. Yeah, it, it, it was, was. Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> so it was, you know, they basically, if I understand it correctly, so taking aerial imagery of different cities and then thinking about how we can turn that, how we can digitize that into a single kind of image or picture that helps us convey the livability of those cities. Um, I mean, and it was it was kind of at the at the edge of between art and technology and and. Um, so, you know, which I guess makes sense because she actually works at a, a research lab um, in Cambridge. So um, this is kind of somewhat theory and practice, art and tech. Um, so that was cool. Uh, next, we had Oliver who um, took us through a project that he had done using ChatGPT. So basically a real world case study of using ChatGPT to try to do a GIS project, and he kind of documented some of the some of the things that worked well and some of the things that, that didn't quite work so well. Um, so that was interesting. And then finally, um, we had Harry and Derek who did uh, their this this groundbreaking research on um, <laughs> using OpenStreetMap to figure out the the which pubs in London. What are the two closest pubs in London that share the same name? Um, so, and unfortunately, to my surprise, it was not the Sutton Arms, which is the pub that we often go to after uh, events when we're at Geovation. Uh, the Sutton Arms was beaten out. There are two Sutton Arms, and they are apparently 320-some meters apart. And in Holborn, there are two pubs called the Coach and Horses that are, that are a few, that are about 20 meters closer together. That... Well, first of all, that was the most geomob of talks. You know, it was really geeky. Um, I mean, it was prompted by the fact that you had said a few months ago that there were two Sutton arms close to Geovation and make sure we go to the right one. Um, but it was also, uh, I mean, they were very funny. They were very, very funny. Um, but it has to be said that... I think it's going, they didn't measure using 
actual walking distance from the front door? Were they talking from front door to front door or from bar to bar? It was, I, I believe it was as, as the crow flies, kind of a straight line distance. Between but, centroids, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, geo-geeks could argue that that's not an accurate measurement. Well, what, the only conclusion is that more research is needed. In, 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 Absolutely. In so, I mean, um, you, field research. Field research, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was a great geomob. It really was. There was a real energy about it. A lot of people, uh, lots of conversations going on afterwards, lots of interesting Well, yeah, people. very good pub session then afterwards. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, again, Stephen, though, I mean, the... Uh the price rise of beer in London has been relentless, so we need to we need to figure <laughs> out what we do about that because we burned through. I mean, we went to the pub, and uh, you know, uh, most people came along to the pub as they should, but we burned through the budget in about one hour. You know, mm -hmm. whereas, whereas normally it used to be, you know, we would stay at the pub for two two and a half hours. You know, the last conversations on stragglers would still be there, and then eventually I'd close out the pub. And here I felt like I, I had to close out the tab, and here I felt like. You know, after after fifty minutes, the guy's like, "Oh, sorry, you've maxed out the the tab." So, so, so there's a couple of things there. One, we could just tell the sponsors, "Listen, it's costing more. Up your bucks," and they'll probably do that. Um, but two, we need to get the drinks started. I don't. Th think it matters if we don't pay for the drinks the whole night yeah well obviously that's what happened this time we, we eventually the, yeah. the tab was closed out and but and i don't people, think it matters i think out and buying their own drinks yeah. so yeah um or we have to switch to some sort of model where each person you know we give each person a ticket or whatever and they get one or two drinks you know paid for by the sponsors and then from that point on they're on their own um yeah i think we put the event on, we get the first round of drinks in, and then, um, yeah, if people want more drinks, um, which they of, often do, um, they can self-fund. I don't think people would mind that at all. I don't think anyone is coming for free beer. They're coming for, for drinks and conversation after the event, definitely, but um, I don't think it all has to be free. Anyway, very, very good uh, evening, very enjoyable, good conversations, good talks. Um, uh, we should mention Adita won the uh, Best Speaker Prize, so congrats to her. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, London, the London community continues to, to thrive. So I'm not, I'm not, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to get in another event before the end of the year. We might have to hold off till uh, kind of January or so. Um, right. just, just due to various travel and, and then um, we have in, I thought about could we do another event in November but then State of the Map Europe is in November and so it starts to get a bit complicated so unless we do a, an early December event yeah but then at that point people are doing Christmas parties and things like that you know so although you know I guess we could maybe first week of December I'll have to have a look at the schedule I kind of you know, a lot of pubs. I, well, maybe we could. Maybe we could. Let me have a look. Anyway, as always, events are only possible if people volunteer to speak. So you, dear listener, should immediately volunteer to talk about whatever it is you're working on. And that reminds me that um, there were a couple of speakers at the London Phosphagy that I tapped up afterwards and said, 
would you like to come and deliver a short version of that um, at Geomob? Well, let's get him. Let's get him. Yeah. Um, and there was, there's one which was one lightning talk, which was um, about building a weather station using a Raspberry Pi. All right. Uh, which was really fascinating. Lots of geekery and geo in that. So uh, Very cool. And actually, that's kind of a good transition, Stephen, because that uh, is somewhat related to the first talk that we had at, at Geomob Barcelona. So maybe maybe I'll dive into, into that. And first of all, let me, let me say this was a great Geomob Barcelona, probably our, easily our best one since COVID in terms of uh, we had five good talks. We had, um, a, a, you know, it's, it's not as big as London, but we had a, had a solid turnout. Um, and it felt like maybe, hopefully, we're getting the momentum back. I should mention a big part of that was um, I was helped in the organizing by um, the team from Rokobun, who, who were also helped us sponsor the event. Um, and they helped line up some of the speakers. So maybe that might be a model that could help us go forward. So... Um, so big thanks to them for their help. Um, right. So the as I the first talk was um, Tony. He this was this was a, a classic GMOP talk. So he recently, or I guess in the last year, became a father and has a newborn baby. And so then you know he has one of these uh, baby carriers where you kind of put the baby in front of you and goes for a walk. And Sleep. yeah, exactly. And he. You know, of course, he's yeah. If, if, when the baby's sleeping, you don't want the baby to wake up, and and so he's very uh, sensitive of how much noise is there um, as he's walking around. So, you know, rather than just kind of ponder this question theoretically, he then built a whole system whereby he, he would use his phone to measure the noise level, use the sensors on the phone to measure the noise level, um, and then translate that to a map so he could see you know where in Barcelona where the noisy places and where it wasn't um, and of course it's all open source and it's on github and so he's looking for people if anyone wants to contribute to this project um, very kind of cool homebrewed project of, of um, doing something with the baby you know I'm not sure how much the baby contributed but uh, but, <laughs> but it was a very sweet little project and um, well we're checking nice. out so um, when you started I thought you were going to say talk about pollution no, no. not noise but well actually, noise pollution is pollution yeah but um, you know, if you're taking a baby for a walk on a sling or kids for a walk in a pushchair or whatever, um, it would be great to have maps um, of pollution. But I guess that's pretty obvious, isn't that it? Is main streets and- well, I mean, that was my question to him is like, isn't it just the main streets versus... And I mean, obviously, you know, a big street with a lot of traffic is going to be louder than an area that's not. But there are also other areas, you know, because of the reflection off the buildings or whatever, where you might think it right. might be quiet, but it's actually kind of noisy. Um, but, you know, Stephen, I mean, noise pollution is actually pollution. It's actually very yeah. bad for you, the, the constant stress of, of loud noise and things like that. And this is a real problem in Barcelona. Barcelona is a very noisy city. Um, I'm quite sensitive to this because my hearing is very bad and I can tell you it can be very difficult I mean there are certain parts of the city like it's just not pleasant to be in you can't have a conversation it's just so echoey and noisy and um, yeah 
So anyway. Um, so that was him. That was Tony. Our next talk was um, from some guys. So in Barcelona, I don't know if you're familiar with this new car brand, Cupra. Have you seen this? Maybe maybe you've seen them or you haven't. But um, this is a new car brand. It's a, a, a subsidiary of the Volkswagen Group. Uh, so... Um, and Seat, which is uh, uh, the Volkswagen brand in in Spain and Iberia, but anyway, the whole Cupras they're all electric electric cars, and um, so basically they they came to kind of present, you know, how they're thinking about kind of in car uh, apps and things like that that people could build, you know, around location based services. So. You know, obviously, when you're driving the car around, you want to know you have different needs of what you might want to do or find things or things like that. And so they're trying to very much have kind of a, an app platform where any developer can kind of put apps into the marketplace and then the Cupra uh, drivers can use these apps and things to, you know, for whatever they're, whatever they need to do. And could be entertainment systems, you know, for the, hopefully not for the driver, hopefully for the people in the backseat. But, um, so that's kind of cool. Um, well, I'm not sure. Well, you, you're not sure that they should have a, a system for this, or you're not sure? Well, I just wonder, having an unlimited, or not unlimited, but a large number of apps that you can download in your car, which are finding things, notifying you of things. I mean, the whole... It might be a great idea to just focus on steering your car. Well, absolutely, and absolutely. But I think you could have things like you know certain apps that could only play in the on the backseat monitors versus the the front monitor. You know, so like to occupy the the passengers okay. or things like that. Clearly, there is a, a big usability challenge in there of like how do you give people relevant information without distracting them? Obviously. Um, anyway, um, but I don't know. I thought it. it I mean, have you been into a modern car recently? I mean, I don't even own a car, but usually once a year or twice a year, I go on a trip somewhere and we rent a car or, or you see friends on the new... I mean, new cars, it's insane. Have you been in a Tesla? Yeah. I mean, it has a bigger screen than I have on my desktop. I, I know, I know. I mean, they are remarkable pieces of equipment. I'm not sure that all of that big screen and lots of things going on on the screen is a great idea, but yes, no, I, I agree. Right. I do think it creates a uh, very real safety risk. Um, I mean, we have two, one car is 19 years old and one car is 20 years old. So um, we are... We're at least getting full life out of our cars, but not much technology. But in Stephen, them. let's let's make the assumption in in five years time, ten years time, you know, is the human going to be driving the car or it'll be autonomous? And and so then at that point, it's like maybe you will want apps in the you know if the car is driving itself, then you will want some kind of entertainment system, productivity system. Well, you just you'll pick up your phone, won't you? Yeah, but why would you use your phone if you could have a big screen? You know, if the car. All right. Okay. Screen. But, All right. But I do take your point. Um, anyway, it's clear. It's clear this is coming. So they're kind of at the yeah. forefront of trying to think about that, and and it's also clear there are huge usability challenges. Sure. I think Ed that we need to recognize that we are becoming technical luddites. Becoming. I, I, I'm long since a technical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Okay. So. Yeah. Anyway, moving, moving on, on. Moving, moving on. on. So our next talk was um, 
Xavier from, uh, from Rokuban, who has been a guest here on the podcast, I think, uh, you know, maybe 10, 15 episodes ago. Um, and so Rokuban, for those that missed that episode, it, they are specialists in the field of GNSS and, and these new hyper-precise location systems and the, really about the hardware there of, of, of um, how do you determine location. And, and mm -hmm. so he kind of, very similarly to his podcast episode, it was kind of what's new in GNSS. Uh, and there's a lot new. There's a lot of things happening. There are all these different new systems like Galileo and stuff like that. And, of course, new devices, new phones that let you access all that. So... Um, very exciting uh, and, and lots of new technical possibilities that this kind of opens up. One of which is kind of gets into the very next talk, which is our fourth talk, which um, we had a speaker from Hexagon who, I mean, it's a big company, they do a lot of different things, and but he was specialized in this kind of um, precise automation and precise location um, group. And they're working right. exactly on this, on building, how do you build the location technology for autonomous vehicles, right? Where, you know, you need centimeter level accuracy and you need it, it needs to be completely reliable. You know, it doesn't, you know, just because the, the vehicle goes, you know, behind a, a, a building or something, you know, then maybe a different, somehow the vehicle needs to know exactly where it is uh, down to the, the centimeter. And so he kind of talked about some of the work they're doing there and all the different um, redundant technologies and things like that. So mm. I wonder whether that is the route. I think there's there's two schools of thought. You know, one is that automated vehicles is a challenge for ultra reliable, accurate location positioning. Yeah. Um, but that requires ultra-reliable, accurate Redundant technologies. Networks. Yeah, well, he talked about that. You, can't, uh, you, you yeah. can't just rely on, like, obviously you may not always have your, you know, 5G network or whatever, and you still yeah. need to know exactly where it is. And you... The alternative route is to use a, a sensors on the car. But they do both. They do both, of course. And AI. And to sort of recreate the driver experience... But using the sensors, um, yeah. Uh, I think it's a case of you. You need to. You you know. You need, you both. need both. Exactly. You need yeah. both. But but that's exactly kind of the the challenge, right? Is when do you fail? When do you you know when the two systems tell you different things? Which one do you trust? And you know, all these kind of things. So um, that was interesting. And, and later at the pub, I was asking him like, you know, when are Autonomous vehicles. When are we going to actually see autonomous autonomous vehicles in the real world? You know, I know there are some tests in various mm. cities uh, in the U.S., but you know, how quickly will we will will we see it here? So we'll see, we'll see. But anyway, there's a lot of work going on on this. So I may try to get him on the podcast actually, so he can. Okay. And finally, uh, our final speaker, um, last but but by no means least, was uh, Raf who is kind of the godfather of the, uh, the geo scene in, in Catalonia and has spent probably the last 15 years doing all kinds of work trying to get, um, get the Catalan geo scene going. Um, some great successes, some challenges, you know, and he, so he kind of talked about, you know, the difficulties of this, of, of, 
you know, very similar to some of the, the points we talked about on the on our 200th episode, Stephen, about the challenge of endurance and keeping things going and. Um, also, yeah. how do you trend? You know, people get burned out. How do you transition from one person to the next? And um, how do we encourage more people? And, and this is exactly what we've seen also with um, GMO Barcelona is that we haven't yet got the critical mass to keep it sustaining, to get new people, new young people coming in. Uh, that, you know, the kind of thing where someone comes to one, likes it, starts coming back, becomes a regular, then starts, you know, contributing and. So, some work still to be done there, but um, but the conclusion of everyone um, at the pub afterwards was uh, it was a great event, and and people were excited to keep it going. And I'm hopeful, you know, with some some local partners and sponsors, maybe we can have another another one probably January, February or so. We had two or three people already volunteered to talk, so that's a great start. And um, and we'll keep it going. And then, what's coming up? There's is there Lisbon or Berlin? Got, I can't got, remember. Well, it, it, well, Berlin is next week. That will, and by the time this episode is published, Berlin will have already happened. Uh, unfortunately, um, I am not going to be in there because of, just because of a schedule conflict. Um, but it really looks like a great lineup. Actually, one or two people who have been here on the podcast, um, but also several other very interesting talks. Um, so I have no doubt it will be a fun event. Uh, and and the, the first two Geomob Berlin's have been fantastic. Very good turnout and, and very good mood. Um, but And then the week after that, on October 4th, uh, is Geomob Lisbon, which I will be attending. Wow, and um, we shall see how that goes. It's my first time at a Geomob Lisbon. There was a Geomob Lisbon a couple of years ago. Um, not our biggest event, but uh, it seemed to was enjoyed by all. So let's see. I think I'm actually speaking at Geomob Lisbon. Um, right. Probably I'll give a version of the talk I gave in Tel Aviv a couple of months ago. Right. Um, but we have we have a very good lineup there. Um, you know, I hear I hear more and more about the tech scene in Lisbon. So excited to check it out. Who's organizing that, Joanna? Joanna and Miguel of of Map Okay. Yes. So um, right. So both uh, both longtime geo mobsters, uh, uh, and so I have no doubt it'll be a good event. So yeah. So indeed. And and then we have Finland in North, in coming up in November, and I don't know. Are there? I don't know if Tel Aviv is going to have an event before the end of the year or not. Or? I think Tel Aviv will have an event in November. I'm not certain. I'm waiting to hear from them, but yes, I think they're going to have an event in November. Um, they certainly don't have a, a shortage of people wanting to attend. Well, hopefully they can get it going. Anyway, it seems like we're back. You know, I mean, summer's over. Lots of strong momentum, lots of interesting projects going on, and, uh, you know, let's keep the momentum going. So what about a bit of work, Ed? What's happening with Open Cage? What is happening with You Open actually Cage? got any time to do any work? Yeah, I have had some time to do some work. We, um, one thing that's been kind of interesting is we've had kind of a, a big kind of back-to-school phenomenon in that um, over the years we, we see more and more, we've had more and more kind of universities and things or coding schools that kind of use our API for their classes. And obviously with no, no warning or notice to us, but all of a sudden we'll get like on a single day, you'll get, you know, 
200 intro to computer science students just appear and all start signing up um, from a certain university or whatever. And we've seen that again this this year as, as the semester starts up. Um, what else have we been doing? We, you know, there's always there's always different different kind of behind the scenes projects going on in terms of the infrastructure and the scaling. And um, I guess one thing that's good slash bad is we, you know, now that we've been around for quite some time, we're kind of on more people's radars to include some some very big companies. Uh, and so it's interesting, kind of. Interacting with these behemoths, you know, it's like they are—they are the elephant or the mouse. And also, uh, as an example, we've been approached by a big insurance company who wants us to apply for their their RFC for their for geocoding. So, on the one hand, fantastic because this could be a big uh, customer, of course. On the other hand, oh my God, just even the laboriousness of the process of like. How to like you know like multiple calls about whether you know we qualify to even participate in this process and then you know all kinds of NDAs and back and forth you, you know and, and you're just like come on welcome and, and you know and you're always just like um, you know and then you're dealing with these people and I'm like have you even like tried our service at all and they're like no of course not I, that, that's the you know the technical team over in you know such and such department I'm like. Maybe it would make sense for someone to spend 10 minutes just even trying our service first before we you know, schedule our fifth conf call. Um, but, you know, that's the way these companies like to operate, so. Welcome to my world. Yeah, it's, it's, that's what I did for 25 years or more. Um, that explains a lot, Stephen, the pain, the anguish. The, um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, so it's hard. I was going to ask you, do you think since... I think we can agree that we're back from COVID. Yes, although I see more. I know. I see more and more articles I know it, that it's coming back. So. Yeah, but I mean, certainly people are moving around. People are in sure. offices and all of that. And does that have you noticed in the demands from some of your reverse geocoding customers? Um, in terms, the demand going in up in terms of their usage. Ah. Uh, yeah. No, I can't. I mean, you know, we've been slowly, steadily growing. I don't know if it's because of that or something else or whatever, but I don't, you know, I don't think we could pinpoint it to something like that. Well, I mean, one of the big challenges we have, Stephen, is we have an API and people use the API and it's not always clear why they're using the API. You know, like what, you know, <laughs> with, and, and, it's not like they write to us and are like, hey, we're doing it, you know, we're using it for this system. And then we, you know, occasionally when we, when we interact with customers, obviously I try to ask them and things, but, you know, the vast majority of customers, they're just, you know, this week their usage goes up 10%. Hard to say why. Or, or it might mm. go down 10%. You know, you never know. You never know. So. There will be a reason. Oh, there will be a reason, but it's just, yeah. I'm not going to find out that reason, you know. No. Um, you have to understand the use cases, yeah. and then then you could track from those use cases and the level of usage. You might be able to identify the patterns. Anyway, what else have you been up to beyond conferencing? Conferencing. Um, we managed to, we had one of those, the worst 
bugs in the world um, on the Mapperi website. What is that? Well, it was a bug which really screwed up a couple of things um, and made it... It wasn't impossible to add stuff to the website, but it became incredibly cumbersome. And we kept getting error messages. And so if you've got a a partner in your enterprise who is massively more technical than you named Arno Ferrand, you immediately send this problem to him and say, can you have a look and sort it out? And he said, yeah, as soon as I can get to a computer, I'll have a look at it. Meanwhile, before he gets to a computer, the bastard fixes itself. Hmm. And there is nothing worse than a bug that fixes itself when you've not done anything and you don't know why it was there. And now you're worried that it's going to come back. Um, so that's been my well my little saga. So, so it sounds like we're business as usual. Yes. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's about it, you know. Um, All right. Well, let's wrap it there. Um, enjoy. Uh, uh, I'm looking forward to Geomop Lisbon. Um, have a great time. And maybe in a couple um, weeks we'll do a report on how that went and uh, catch up again. Okay. Take care. Bye, Stephen. Bye. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is GeoMob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a GeoMob event soon.